brought him my situation. I'm sitting out at his house and we're having a fire and uh, kind of sitting out back and I'm talking for hours about this whole problem with Amazon and everything and every, I, my latest, my latest massive failure. And very quietly, he just looked at me and he goes, do something, even if it's wrong. And that's the key right there. And I thought that was... I'm excited to talk about my sponsors today, Gay Lisby's Million Dollar Arbitrage Group. Amazing, amazing group. This is a teacher. This is, uh, Gay was a teacher. She is a teacher still. You need to learn this is the type of uh, environment you want to be in because she's going to help you understand why. And I think that's the hardest part of this business is understanding why. Why is the red one popular when the green one isn't? Well, there's usually a reason. And what Gay does is probably parse that better than anybody, and she'll explain the reasons for those things. I think that's really powerful. Yes, she puts out a list. You're going to get uh, get use of that list if you get in the group. Now, here's the deal. The group isn't always open, right? So you get on the waiting list, and you can join the waiting list through my link. Um, doesn't cost you anything to, to get on a waiting list. And if you uh, like her service, which I find that most people do, and that's why there's not so many openings, um, you'll be with her for a long time. And so it's amazingfreedom.com. She's part of Andy Slamet's group, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum. And you're going to get in the waiting list. That's all I can get you on right now. You can use my name and see if that gets you anywhere. But what I like about in that, uh, what I like about what they teach in that group are the things that are going on, you know, the current things. I've seen a lot of stuff going on about stores going out of business. Well, here's where an opportunity is. Here's why you want to do this. Hey, be cautious about this, you know, with Toys R Us coming out. You got to think about this. And that's the learning that you need to do. And gay is better than anybody else I've seen. So um, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum will get you to the waiting list. Then hopefully it can get you in the group and then you're going to see me in there and uh, we can chat anytime you're ready. Karen Locker's group solutions, the number four e-commerce solutions for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you 50 bucks. Karen's our account manager. We recommend her to everyone because she's done so well for us. I mean, that's quite frankly, the reason we've been paying her for last few years, but she's become an important part of our team. Her and her team are so involved in our account. I just see the emails coming back and forth. Hey, we did this for you. I just saw two listings today and I'm like, wait a second. Why did they show up? I didn't put any listings up. They got, uh, they got uh, set off to the side by Amazon, and they reactivated them for me. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that just happens when you have a strong team, and I can't recommend Karen enough. If you use uh, my code Momentum, Karen pays me. I don't want to hide that. Of course, we all know that, but you're going to save $50, and it's a great opportunity to really, really um, build out your team with somebody you can trust. That's why I recommend them. So solutions for e-commerce, solutions, the number for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you $50. Oh, and by the way, she's going to do an inventory health report. Why is that important? Well, guess what? Fees are going up. Is your inventory health number declining like ours is? Well, here's why, and here's what they can do. What I like is I get a spreadsheet from them and it says, hey, um, here's a bunch of inventory. Here's what we recommend. And I'm like, yep refund, I mean, uh, delete, uh, return to us, blah, 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 whatever it is, and it's or destroy, and it just happens. That's what I like. The other thing that I have Karen help me with a lot is creating new listings. You know, we do a lot of the research ourselves, we upload our images, and then boom, magically the listing goes live, and I don't have to worry about it. Those are the services that Karen offers. Can't recommend her enough. Solutions for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum. Save 50 bucks. Use my code 
you save $50 a month every single month. And it's a great service. Plus, you get that free inventory health report. I think it's a really powerful way. So I can't, uh, I'm so excited how many people have been joining her because I see it. And I'm excited because the, the messages I get from people are saying, hey, this is great. I finally feel like I can focus on something else because Karen and her team are watching this for me. And, you know, I highly recommend her. Next up is Seller Labs and Scope. <laughs> I almost said it wrong. It's it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing when you sit back and think about, hey, I want to get this product up and it's similar to this product and that, sim- that product does well. Well, therefore, if that product does well, they have the right keywords. They have chosen things correctly. So guess what? You scope and you can see all that stuff. And that's what the the most powerful thing in the world is to copy somebody who's done it right. That's what you want to, you want to take advantage of that, right? I mean, it's, it's fair uh, to see. And so therefore you could take and apply it to your listing and immediately get that same benefit. That's what scope does for me. Sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you $50 on the service. Oh, by the way, it's free to try. So sign up, try it and say, oh, this is how it's done. Boom. And then you're going to, the light's going to go on and you're going to be like, man, I can get my products out there. I just can't wait. Can't wait. Sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. The other day I bought another domain. Yes, I bought another domain. It's almost like uh, I'm admitting guilt, but it's because I had an idea and it was something that was a pretty good idea. I think it's going to go pretty far. And so what do I do? I go to trygodaddy.com forward slash momentum and save 30%. So domains aren't very expensive. You get a few services. It adds up a little bit. And I usually buy three years. I usually buy privacy. By the way, I recommend that too. Buy that, you know, it's not that much money, but when you can save 30%, it makes it that much sweeter and it makes it easier uh, when you're buying domains and especially if you buy a bunch of domains. I am a domain collector and so I do tend to do that, but that 30% makes it a lot easier. And I use GoDaddy because what I like is I can pop in an address I'm thinking, and it'll say, nope, nope, try this version or try this extension. And then boom, there it is. Hey, you better hurry before it goes away. And they're right, you know, and so try godaddy.com forward slash momentum, save 30%. Also, I want to mention about Grasshopper. Who was I just talking to somebody the other day? And they were like, oh yeah, I use this company called Grasshopper. I'm like, dude, did you buy it through my link and save 30%? Hello? No, they missed that. So save 30%. It's trygrasshopper.com forward slash momentum. No surprise there. But you're going to save 30%. And what the, the real cool part about that is they're using it for their private label business. And it gives them virtually a second phone on their current phone without having to get another number. They can make up a vanity number. They don't have to go and do all the grief and, and sign long contracts pretty easy stuff. And so if you're creating a brand that you want to identify, you want to look professional, you want to look like a real company, Grasshopper is a great tool. It's an app you put on your existing phone and boom, you now have a customer service department. You now have a sales department. You now have a manufacturing division. You could forward it to somebody else. You can have it go to different voicemails, different departments, and it's all included. So try grasshopper.com forward slash momentum, save 30%. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode three hundred and twenty-five. Joe Roosterfin. Man, oh man, 
This is a great story. It's a, a story that weaves, um, ebbs and flows, goes in, goes out. There's a lot of couches involved, and I'm not exaggerating, a lot of couches, but they're so critical to this story. And I, you know, I don't know a good metaphor to use for couches other than to think about these, these turning points in your life and then the advisors and the people that you trust, the people that you love, that you go to, and sometimes the people that you respect. And then you lose some respect because there's a lack of uh, the ability to ebb and flow for you, right? You can ebb and flow for them, but it doesn't work the other way around. And that stuff it doesn't sit with you well, and, and you're going to hear some examples where that doesn't sit well with Joe. And um, it's very cool to me, his story. He's very humble. He's so approachable. Um, and at the end, he gives his email. He l- likes to take questions because he was where you are, meaning me and you and everyone else listening. And so, you know, take advantage of that uh, if you got real good questions for him because he's done it. Um, he's been there but he's done it. And you're going to hear how he's pushed through. It has not been easy. It will not be easy for you. But the other side is so bright when you take and look at the process. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest because it's time we have some fun on this podcast. We, we need to up the fun level. We need to go a whole nother. I mean, it is another level with Joe Richardson. Welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm, the, I, I'm not as good as you. You are like the happiest toy guy I've ever met in my life. I mean, you are meant, I mean, when you sit back and you're honest, this is where you're supposed to be. Is that true? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, are your, is your parents like, say you were always a kid, you're never going to grow up. Is that what they say? Now they do. They questioned and they adventure but now they look and uh, always say that they say that's uh you know where he belongs or that's what he uh, that's what he was talking about all these years so yeah well that's that's funny that but the whole time of your life they were looking at you like what the heck is wrong with this kid what's he gonna do with this life but you know here's here's a question for this is an honest question when your kid does the same thing are you gonna look at him different Absolutely get, not. Now, yeah, right. Now that you you understand it and see, uh, yeah. looking back, it's easier to connect those dots, right? It sure is easier to connect those dots because in your parents' generation, oh no, you got to get a job, Joe. You got to get a career. Thirty years, go to the salt mines, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know you can't do your own thing. What are you talking about? Toys? Right. Toys? Who, does that? Who does toys? You know you can't compete with Barbie. Barbies. You know, but it's funny now that whole world, your whole world. And, and I, I think you're a good example like me. I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you, but my whole world has changed because I just didn't know any better. It's like I never saw that side of it. I never was exposed to it. Um, in your family, did you have entrepreneurs in your family? I did not. So I had a traditional, uh, my mother is a nurse and my father is an electrical engineer. Oh, and Jesus. Oh, you got to go to college. 100%. That's it. <laughs> right? I mean, that's it. Yep. If you don't, you're not going to be successful. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? Yeah. So when you think about that now, um, when you did you go to school? I did. Okay. Um, yep. What so was I your have, What was your major? 
So I have uh, two degrees, um, a bachelor's in mathematics and a master's in uh, applied mathematics. Oh, Jesus. And now you're in toys. Oh, they're definitely thinking you're crazy, man. They're definitely thinking <laughs> you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, though, although the toy story gets better because there is a math to this madness, there is something connected. Is. But, but it, I mean, I'm, I'm still stuck on it, though. I just think it's so cool that you had to go to school. You had no choice with a nurse and an engineer. I mean, you're, you're going to school and then, then you're going to be in working for a company and you're going to work your way up and Joe, you're going to make it. You're going to be the success of the family because you're going to put your head down. You're smart. You're gifted. Boom. Thinking about backwards, did you know that you didn't want to work for somebody? Honestly, when you, I mean, what point in your life did you realize you know, I'll do it because they say I got to do it, and they are, let's face it, they're successful. But there was something wrong in that world. Well, I think um, I definitely was um, one of the people who questioned every step of the way. So even, like, funny you mentioned with college, and that was the standard, and that's what you had to do. I remember to this day sitting in the living room with my parents, uh, both college educated, and explaining to them, saying, I don't know that I want to go to college. And that was just silence oh, across the house. Jesus. Oh, my and God. That, that was terrible. What do you mean? And I said, I don't really understand it. Uh, I don't really get the whole picture, and I don't really know what I'm doing. This is my senior year, and uh, that's oh kind of how that God. whole started. I didn't go straight directly into college, or I'm sorry, I didn't go into a four-year college. I uh, just opted out and decided to go into a two-year community college to figure it out, and I was not a four years in and out. It was definitely a long, uh, whole stretch of the way. Math was my not even um, on the radar. I started off in the health sciences um, doing physical therapy. Then I even uh, took a gander at uh, physics and chemistry and looked uh, that route. Went to five different colleges. I had no idea what was uh, which way was up, so to speak. Wow. <laughs> but yet, were you gifted in math your whole life and you just didn't want to admit it? I was gifted in math. Uh, I didn't necessarily understand to that extent what my gifts were or even uh, what a math major meant. Uh, I understood in other majors what you did. But to me, I didn't understand how does one go to school for math and what are we going to do, just equations all day? I really didn't understand it, so it never dawned on me to just start taking math and, and doing that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, though. I mean, what would you think, right? Uh, I guess now you would say a scientist or something like that, engineer or what have you. Um, now, in the computer world, of course, math would be pretty important, right? But but back then, you, you weren't thinking about it, right? I agree with you. I think that's a, a good example of that's one of those, you know, that's almost like art history. What are you going to do with it? Go paint? You're going to go, right. right? I mean, it's like, but you realistically, our world has evolved um, quite a bit. All right, yeah. so you get out of college or you're in college, and what kind of jobs did you have? So that was the piece once I decided to go for mathematics. A lot of just the majority of people around me in college were going for teaching. And I quickly learned that um, – I'm sorry. I'm qu I quickly learned that teaching uh, mathematics and a mathematics major were two entirely different things. Hmm. So uh, once I kind of uh, honed in on thinking, well, I don't really know that I want to teach this – that was when I kind of got into the open water of studying mathematics. The school that I was in was uh, very small, so the classes and the other students who were doing this was uh, also very small. We had I went from classes and lectures of 100 people down to four and five. 
Hmm. and just kind of staring at the other four saying, what are you doing with this? So, and then from the family side, everyone that I spoke with uh, really didn't uh, necessarily know what to do with a math major. They said, well, you could teach it. They didn't know because engineering was the route that you went to get into corporations and whatnot. They're like, at least he's going to school, right? That's what they were happy with. At least he's doing something, right? He seems to be, yeah, exactly. That's funny. Well, you get out of school. What happens? So this is in 1999, 2000. So the job market in regard to engineering and stuff like that was not that strong. Uh, so I really had with little direction, the one common thing was to become an actuary. So I looked into that and I then did cover my bases, uh, looking at the job market and whatnot. So when I was graduating my bachelor's degree, I decided to at least minor and be able to have the ability to get the certification in teaching. Okay, and that's so, kind of, yeah. So I graduated with a bachelor's of mathematics and I did have New York state teaching credentials. And that's a big deal, right? I mean, at least you had a B plan. Now your parents are breathing a sigh of relief because there's some pride, you know, oh, he's a teacher. I mean, okay, you know, he he went for math, but man, he's a teacher. All right, so cool. All right, so you're back in good graces. You're back in the normalcy, right? They're thinking, okay, he's not lost it completely. Um, Did you start teaching before you went for your master's? I did. No, I, I, uh, I actually, I taught, so I started to kind of outline my little journey into where, uh, the, that led me is I started teaching on a high school level and I had a knack. I studied in high in college, rather, I started taking classes and just dropping in on discrete mathematics. And I found that that was one of the areas that there were not a lot of classes. There were not a lot of, um, undergraduates really kind of specializing in it in it. And I had a very good knack for it. So it's more of, uh, basically from a standpoint of, um, of what the mathematics section would be, it would be like pattern identification and abstract, uh, connections with like modular division and things of that nature where they would use oh, it. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. We, we were just talking about that. Uh, the other day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, like literally those people, uh, are more into heavy encryption. So if you're know, code writing and things of that, not necessarily, mm computer science, but code, uh, coding for encryption. So I just got for that. I found a school that just put up, um, a job application that they needed someone to teach discrete mathematics. So here I thought that I was going to go into the high school and teach discrete mathematics based on what I was just studying. And I found that that was not the case. I found that it was more, um, heavy disciplining and also found that seniors uh, who are taking discrete mathematics or not taking it to major in discrete mathematics, but are just taking it to kind of get that last credit before they checked out for uh, college. Is it, so, it, well, let me ask you this, because I think this is an important point. You went in all, you know, enthusiastic, you're going to make a difference. You're going to make a dent in the universe, right? You're going to teach these kids. It's going to be exciting because you're excited about it. It's really rewarded you. And you mentioned, um, was it rigid? Is it by, because are they, is the school district or the, you know, whatever that would be, are they just so rigid in their format that you're only allowed to do this way and this method? Is that, is that part of it? Uh, as, as far as the school that we're talking that I would be teaching in, so a local high school. Right, right. Yeah, were they, were they so rigid though with you're not allowed to be creative with it? You, this is the format, you must do this, Joe, and follow this way? Is that what happens? It was more of 
this is really not a New York State required course, so we're not really going to put too much effort into it. So just kind of do what you want and just um, follow these guidelines and don't really rock the boat. It was that. It was more of that. It was kind of like, yeah, this isn't Algebra 1. They're graduating. Just kind of keep the uh, keep the lights on until June. That was the situation. Okay, so so you couldn't stay inspired in essence then. I mean, that's where I was going. You, your your fire no. was dying. Fire was dying quickly um, to the point where I left that job after two years. I was kind of um, knew that I didn't want to do that. And mm. that was uh, a big to do again. So now picture us back on the couch. We're oh, my God. Parents. We're back to the parents, Joe. What are you and, doing? Come yeah. on, Joe. So that kind of led to the same kind of talks. Two years. You get three uh, years in New York State for tenure. So now I was leaving. Uh, leaving oh, up- Joe, what are you doing? 30 years of pension. My God, you're set for life. Yeah, that was kind of it. And um, I decided at that point, I bounced around and uh, I used the term bouncing around. I didn't really know what to do. I was going on interviews for actuarial science and whatnot and uh, wound up on a road trip with a buddy of mine who was headed to San Diego. Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Is, <laughs> did you have a surfboard with you in any way? I did not. He was heading uh, for the Navy, so it, it okay. was just uh, the, the stars were aligned. Okay, because this is a movie. I mean, this is going to be a movie. I can see this. Your life is going to be a movie. There's well, no this doubt. Was, it, the way it's set up is actually you couldn't align the storyline any better. Unfortunately for him, the uh, he was moving. He was my uh, college roommate, so back when he knew me when I was up, uh, I went to school upstate New York and writing equations on the wall. And he heard me for years talking about discrete mathematics. And then he was just rolling his eyes saying, okay, man. But he wound up uh, getting a divorce, unfortunately. And so the Navy was relocating him to San Diego, but they had issued the papers and said that, uh, you know, they had an all expense paid trip for him and his wife. So he literally called me up and said, yeah, do you want to sit shotgun and we're going across the country? I got to move my house to San Diego and I that's what I did. Wait, I said, wait, wait. I want to go to this conversation with back with your parents on the couch. Mom, dad, I'm going to San Diego, but I'm going as Bill's I'm going wife. As, I'm going as Dan's wife. That Dan's was, wife. That was it. I'm going as Dan's wife and off we went. And um, oh my God. it was just literally him kind of going over his life. You, I mean, if you've been on a cross-country road trip, this was my first one. It was amazing. And we're just bobbing around the country, getting there and talking for hours and hours. And uh, we stopped in Omaha, Nebraska was one of the cities that I learned was a huge hub for actuaries. And uh, in our couple of days there, learned all about that. And, you know, still that didn't settle too well with me. And it wasn't until we bumbled our way down through Vegas. And I remember we Uh were there. Yeah. And we were there. But this actually has a good ending because it led into where we are now. Had a conversation with a couple of people and it just turned into something. And I was literally you could picture it in a movie. I'm sitting on the rails looking over the uh, Bellagio fountains. And I just looked over to the left of Dan and I said, what in the heck am I going to do with this math degree? And his friend to his left turned around and said, we hire mathematicians all the time. You're in the right spot. And I looked and I said, to do what? Because I don't want to be an actuary. And lo and behold, he says, well, come down and, and we'll show you, you know, our office and what we do. And what I found is in Vegas, there is a humongous um, job market for mathematicians for writing game engines. Whoa, 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 whoa. So now you're going to go have this conversation, Dan. I'm going to Vegas. Yep. I'm going to work for the casinos. 
Well, no. I What I actually did is it just stuck with me. I started reading through the job applications, started looking at what they were doing, and it fascinated me that oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't doing equations and stuff. Some of it was, but what it was more, it was the mixture, which I enjoyed, of the psychology and the mathematics. So, for example... Um, why do you put red at the eye level and green below it? Or why do you put on this slot machine the number seven highly you know, above their head, but only even numbers below the waistline and things of that nature? And why is the words always written in gold and pink closer to the door? And all of this math that went into the flow and thinking of what goes through a person's mind, in addition then was the added mathematics of how close can we get someone to winning that they'll stay at that table until we have to give them something to win? And all of that was just, it was almost like this beautiful mind moment when all of this math came back. Still didn't um, know really necessarily how to apply it, but I said this was just fascinating and interesting. But the job itself, the ones that they were offering for entry level, uh, didn't appeal to me. So lo and behold, I kept driving and I you know, kind of rattled around my head went to San Diego and as the uh, Mrs. Dan got on a plane and, and eventually just flew home to New York. No and, kidding. And um, again, now with the parents back on the couch, I said, uh, and now I was getting a little bit older. I didn't really want to be on that couch. So I said, uh, I'm going to take a job. I'm going to experiment and maybe I'll give teaching another shot. And I'm going to go now, though we're not going to do high school, we're going to go to the middle school. And we're going to teach middle mm. school kids because maybe those seniors were too far uh, along in their education and I need to reach the kids a little bit earlier. Maybe that would be more fun. And well, let's stop there a second because to me, there's two points that I want to make sure that we don't miss here. One back to the Vegas scene, the fact that your boundaries were expanded. Cause I talk about this on Amazon all the time or eBay or whatever. I don't care what it is. The fact that your boundaries, cause you didn't even know these jobs existed. The fact that you saw this took your world from this narrow, cause all you knew was actuary or teaching, right? We already said that. That's right. it. Yep. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you saw this whole different world that existed. I mean, does the world look different from that moment on in your whole world and purpose? All of a sudden it's like, oh my God, there are people still out there doing this because they love it and they're really affecting change and they're doing things, not just sitting in a little corner counting people to die, right? Absolutely. It I, affected everything. Every interview from that point on was... Right. Uh, that I little switch, Joe. That switch. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. God, that's powerful because I think it's, again, your boundaries. You can't see my hands. I'm blowing them out, but your boundaries just went away. And number, yeah. two, number two, I guarantee your parents, because I'm a dad, right? You're a dad now, but I'm, I'm a dad who looks, and my, my son's probably not much younger than you. And I would sit down there and think to myself, yeah, that middle school is probably about the same maturity level my son is. So they're probably going to get along really well. And I'm teasing <laughs> you, but it's, it's what's fun is that gives you back the ability to affect change. Yeah. Not absolutely. when it's jammed down your throat. It's too late. There's nothing. Fill the time and push them through. That's the problem with education. You get to really make a difference. Ooh, you gave me the chills. All right. I just want to make sure we make those two points because I think it's very, very powerful for people to, you know, we're all so close to what we're doing. We just don't see how big this picture really is. Oh, love yeah. it. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, so I guess... Uh... You're talking just about middle school with your parents. 
talking about middle school and I decide to take this, um, well, I guess to reiterate again, uh, or I'm sorry, not to reiterate, to just kind of go a little bit more into detail of that story, I decided to come out on the eastern end of Long Island and I took a job. But again, I was hired for my expertise in mathematics. So I had, uh, or I have a skill set which in terms of teaching and things of that nature is in high demand to teach the upper level classes that I can very easily communicate. I understand high level mathematics, logic based, and I can communicate that with ease. Where a lot of the younger teachers, it takes years and years and years of that skill set to really master calculus, advanced calculus, things of that nature. Things like that come almost second nature to me, um, which is a big skill set when you're trying to hire for that in, in a high school setting. So I went out to the high school and uh, I, I got another job. And literally, I again went right back to my first school and I said, it smelled the same. It looked the same. And on the ride home, I just said, I'm not taking this job. They offered it to me on the spot. And I wound up calling the superintendent and said, I'm just going to quit on you again. This is just not for me. And she said, well, hold on. What about you know middle school? And that's kind of how it went into my head. And I said, wow. well, I'll try that. So she really kind of redirected. And then it got in my head. And I took a middle school job. So I explained to my parents, this is what I'm doing. They were happy again. It's a tenure track, correct? Um, I have a job that I'm going to every oh, day. And God. I'm sure my dad behind my back was uh, uh, popping champagne saying he might actually leave the house before he's 30. <laughs> this is amazing. This is high fives all around. Two more to go. Uh, Emptiness this- is coming, honey. I swear it's coming. Right. You know, gosh darn, he's on his way. This is great. Um, so um, I wound up taking that job. And I was now teaching middle school. So I taught um, middle school grades 6th, 7th, and 8th. And the, so these are, um, for parents listening, these, as you probably know, kids ages 11 to 13. That was the age range that I was in. So it was teaching very early mathematics, the very beginnings of algebra and whatnot. But to me, it was the earliest stage where a person's or a young um young child's brain really gets turned on to mathematics and that's really where it's moldable. Not so much in the earlier ages, but that kind of breaking point in that middle school is what I identified as the turning point where that kid um, or that child is going to feel comfortable and confident going into high school and, and taking a math class or completely dejected and shying away from that. And it was really in those years. So I was happy to do that job and really got a kick out of it. But again, I was in this system um, that had a lot of rules and a lot of ways that you had to do things and, uh, and teach them and get them ready. So and that went on. I taught for nine years. So to kind of explain how this all happened is I was teaching these kids. And I got to be honest, as much as you know, you hear the excitement in my voice as we're getting to the culmination, because I'm very excited about this and excited about games and in general, but getting up and talking to a bunch of 12 year olds um, for 80 minutes, these were block level classrooms for 80 minutes, trying to make adding X's together sound fun is really hard. Uh, It's very difficult. And to keep that kid entertained. um, And what I quickly uh, found or maybe not so quickly, over the course of a few years uh, teaching, I started noticing that it wasn't that the kids were failing at math because they weren't good at algebra or they weren't doing the work. It was a, it was actually a very key point that I identified that they couldn't problem solve. 
and not in the abstract way. But for example, myself, I always use this, use this as an example. I went to Catholic school growing up and I was defiant because I questioned everything. So I never learned my 12 times tables because Sister Pat told me to do it and I just wasn't going to do it. But because I have problem solving skills, I don't need to know necessarily the 12 times tables because I can very quickly assimilate eight and six and fours and threes and very quickly to the point where Sister Pat never really knew that I didn't sit and remember her facts uh, to this day and hopefully she's not listening. Mm. Um, she, she listens, just so you know. I'm just letting you know. She, she's going to call me. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about this. As you're sitting here and you're still working in the rigidity, right? You're seeing that. You're starting to see something. When you think back to when you were in this math, when you started and it started to get fun for you, that whatever it was that got turned on in you, you weren't seeing turned on in a lot of kids, it sounds like. Right. Exactly. And so that sounds like because, hey, that's your lane. Right. Do you think, you know, and this is a, this is just a philosophical point. I want to make sure we get in here. Is that, you know, is that the time that schools should go all in and double down on those kids? You know, those ages, those really impressionable ages when they're really trying to figure things out and really invest the most amount of time and money in them. And then when they decide and math is not my skill. Right. That person says this. We help them figure something else out instead of jamming it down their throat and then being disappointed with the results because our test scores aren't high enough, Joe. We really need to bring up our test scores, right? Well, no, that's not his lane or her lane, right? Is that the place when you think about fixing education where it's – it Yes. I would say wholeheartedly that and, – and, and again, so – uh, jumping to the end of the story, I taught 11 years. So I can say this. I was in the trenches and I taught high school and taught middle school and I got to see elementary and these kids coming up. And I would most definitely say that in that middle school range is when you need to keep all the lanes open. That's not the time exactly what the way you said it is not the time to uh, close down lanes, but more so double down on opening all the lanes and letting finding out where that kid excels and where that skill set lies. And, and, and it's got to be different. It's going to be different. Absolutely. When that artist, why does that artist need to learn all that other stuff that quite frankly, isn't going to help their art life because that's not going to fuel them. Yeah. They need to know how to balance a checkbook, but they don't need to know how to do, you know, whatever, you, you know what I mean? That's my point. Exactly. Yep. Hmm. Totally. All right. Well, I love, I love the fact that you've gotten to this place because you personally have recognized that there was something missing. And, you know, and I, I, I believe you go back in your life and you see that that was whatever it was that you saw that got you through it is probably what you saw missing. And so this is where the, the story gets even cooler. Now we get cool. Now you actually are cool. I mean, did, hey, you got a cool name. That's cool. <laughs> right. Your name, though. I mean, it was like a meant to be thing. And when you think about your name, would you agree it was meant to be that name? Absolutely. It I mean, just, it's uh, crazy weird, isn't it? I mean, it's like crazy weird. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right. So go ahead. Keep going. I'm excited. So, yeah. So moving down towards the story more, I um, identified this this situation. And then, again, it was back in the back of my head. The Bellagio fountains are going. And I'm thinking, well, we have mm -hmm. to – how do I get – how do you entertain and get these kids hooked? Because you got to teach them problem solving. And it's got to be on the simplest level to get that to work. So my head went back to everything that I had studied with these casinos. And when I say studied, after I left that trip, uh, it was not a matter that I just forgot it. Uh, I, I have, to this day, have kept my notebooks. I went on a deep, deep dive into discrete mathematics and all of the number theory beyond 
beyond the psychology of how to get someone to do something in terms of a gambling and playing cards or uh, or um, making certain bets, but then also working out the the ca the calculations that go into that. And I just went on way beyond what I'm sure the average person maybe sits down and writes equations on. So having that kind of knowledge and background, I started legitimate, like literally making games that I knew were. Um, addictive in nature so i basically well, give us an example to, i mean because i think this is important because as you said right when you go back to that example they put red at a certain place and gold and certain things so that all makes sense for somebody not me somewhere right. you now understand that give me an example of what i mean because you could have just made up some you know mimeograph let me drop that line right all the old people are <laughs> like oh yeah the mimeograph machine smell you could have made copies of a certain thing and just printed that thing out and said, here you go. Here's some worksheets for you, Steve. Here you go, right? right? That wasn't going to cut it, right? That's the difference to me right there. Yes. The fact that you're saying, wait a second, if I put a seven up here and I make it gold and I make it red. So give me an example that you did. So an example is the two problems that I was identifying uh, to kind of lead to where we wound up is that, and going back to my uh, upbringing and whatnot, is first of all that – you need this problem-solving set, and the chances and odds of me actually developing this problem-solving set for this child in the 80 minutes that I have them a day while they're distracted with everything else is not going to happen. So I need this to happen and be reinforced at the home. Uh, I happened to be teaching in a lower-income district, so I knew I was dealing with lots of parents who were either divorced or working multiple jobs. So it was definitely something that to send them the kid home with a ditto – uh, or a worksheet was not uh, really an option because they would just look at it and say, I am beyond dealing with this right now after my third uh, hour on shift or third job on shift. So what I came up with was uh, basically I needed to make a tool that was fast to play, addictive in nature, and that an adult um, parent would find it entertaining to do and they would recognize. So that led me to the idea of casinos. And what I did is I created, for example, to teach a child or really an adult, the games work both ways, to teach a child to understand how to mental, mentally segment numbers. Uh, so, for example, the, um, the common reference would be the game of high-low, or if uh, you and your listeners are familiar with that, right? You flip over a card and the next question is, is the next card going to be higher or lower? OK, mm -hmm. so that that particular game has a lot of um, a lot of math behind it. If you understand the deck and understand the probabilities to that. So in order to make it addictive in nature, what I did is I decided I started hand cutting decks of cards to basically make what's called it's a weighted deck. And I created I knew how to manipulate cards to make the probabilities not always add up where the person wants to keep going and trying to get it right and it's not going to follow regular patterns you actually have to learn the pattern and an adult though would immediately identify that game as high low and have no problem wanting to play it with their kid because now they can compete and due to the way to deck we've now just made that game an even playing field so i started hand cutting these decks and putting them in ziploc bags and sending them home with the kids and um, little by little, the, I told the parents in the beginning, listen, don't worry about the ditto. They'll be fine on their state test. Just I need you to play this with it for a half hour with the kid. And little by little, the parents started calling in and saying, you know, I started getting weird messages where not only were they playing with the kid, but then they were playing 
after hours when the kids went to sleep. And then, oh, by the way, can you cut me another deck? Because I'm going to bring this over for our night with the other parents. And it just kind of spiraled from there. I started inventing different ways to get kids the different skill sets that I needed. So it wasn't only high-low. It was a memory skill, problem-solving and logic. and I, But all simple pub-style games um, that I needed, that I knew these skill sets would get the kids comfortable with thinking and abstractly problem solving, but they didn't know they were doing it because mm-hmm. they were they were betting a high-low. For example, one of my games, Rooster Race, is a weighted deck high-low game, but the kids aren't betting poker chips. They're, they're betting and winning corn. So the kids don't know what they're doing, and they don't know that it's a weighted deck. All they know is the numbers go from 1 to 15. Um, and everything that in that deck and everything that is laid out, there's a reason why there's 1 to 15 and it's not a regular deck. And there's reasons why um, you know there's certain amounts of corn. Everything is from a basis of my studies of casinos. So I know how to make that game addictive. So did we not go to parents' couch at this point? So now we're not going home and explaining to mom and dad. You're sitting now in the superintendent's office at some point, the principal's office on a couch saying, Joe, from what I understand, you're teaching our kids to gamble and you're sending home uh, gambling tools. That really doesn't go with the school district that we are trying to embrace, Joe. You know, after all, we have state tests coming up, right? Well, yeah, that conversation was a little different. The conversation was more of. The other teachers are complaining because every student wants to be in your class. And the other interesting part was, you know what? You're in the top three teachers on their test scores. He's not that far off, although he's not teaching. You know, Joe is not teaching anything according to what we told him to. He's still getting right up there, but the kids are lining up out the door and can't wait to sit there for 80 minutes because he's got them doing things with roosters and turtles and monkeys, and they're not doing the the X, Y, Z of the other classes. Now, what years was this? So this was in 2000, let's say 2003 to 2006. Okay, so pre-cell pre phone, pre-what's pre, yes. uh, pre, uh, the game that Candy Crush and all that rest of that jazz, right? All those things, right? So pre that stuff. But yeah. this is really, but, you know, it sounds to me like you tapped into why those games are so popular too, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an attention thing, and you were able to connect with them. Did you, so you did see test scores improve. Did you did you get any any sense of the parents kids working together more? I mean, I, I know you said you had some call-ins, but I mean, it's still one of those tragedies, especially if you're in a poorer district, right? Did it? I mean, did it perform different things than you expected? You know, re- relationship-wise, you know what I mean? Well, the most important part that I think it did was exactly that. It wasn't necessarily when I kind of look and and maybe put a feather in my cap on what that pivot in my life was. It wasn't that I had decent test scores or whatnot. It was that when Johnny went home, he actually now had something to talk to um, Mm. with his parents and do at the dinner table. And the parents didn't mind doing it. That was the big piece because now, yeah, we'll play, we'll play Rooster Race and, and maybe while you're playing Rooster Race, you know what, Johnny's going to tell them about the crush he had on Tiffany that day or something. And all of those conversations that don't have and all that bonding doesn't happen when the kid is shut down because they don't want to do that worksheet and they don't want to do that diddle and they just want to get through it because, you, know, um, you know, Mr. J applied this, uh, this homework assignment and this stinks. So that was the really where I looked and I saw the um, the big piece. But what I rapidly identified was that this was not going to happen in the school district because I was in that couch pretty much every week where they were saying, <laughs> we don't do that. Um, we don't and- do that here, Joe. You're back to your parents, right? Back there questioning everything. And you're like, wait a second. Wait, 
This is, you know, the the ends justify the means in this case. I mean, 100%, right? You want to help them learn. You want to help advance them. I'm doing that. But no, Joe, that's that's not the way we do things here, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that doesn't work. Is there so another that, way? I'm sorry? Is there another way that you can get this out to kids? So then what we did is then we went back, or we, not me, uh, I went back to my parents' couch and I said, all right, I'm tenured now. Um, I'm uh, working and this, that, and the other thing. And so now this little hobby of mine led to where I was actually cutting up games on larger scales, where I was now maybe cutting up a hundred games. You know, this was not any more small scale. I was actually getting, you know, reams of paper and boxes shipped to my apartment at the time. And this was all trying to figure this out and kids were losing their minds. And this was, and you know, in a good way and everyone was excited. So then I went to my parents and I said, okay, so hear me out. Uh, I think I'm going to actually create a business out of this. And uh, at this point now, it wasn't any big deal to my parents because they said, sure, you could do anything on the side. And um, and that's what I did to start. So what I did is I wound up dabbling from scratch, teaching myself the manufacturing process and how to actually set up and create a, a board game from scratch. And I had no prior knowledge in this. I, I did all the all in the early games that I did was all my own artwork. So I had to teach myself Illustrator and Photoshop. I had no understanding of any of that. How to set up things for print setting and and then talking. I I eventually um, learned the. Uh, manufacturing a route by using someone in the U.S., but found out that they were actually a third party to printers in China. So then I quickly learned that whole um, that scam. World. <laughs> you got and rid of yeah. that scam. Yeah, no middleman needed. And that's what happened uh, from that point. Then it was getting bigger and bigger. And what we would do, uh, and now when I say we, it was me and my uh, girlfriend at the time, Kate, who now is my wife. She started buying into this and she's seeing me every day and, and, and now instead of maybe full dates on Friday and things of that nature, she's coming over to the apartment and we're adjusting uh, boxes and we're gluing and bagging things and I had a shrink wrapper and, and all of this. I have no idea how to really run a business but I thought this was entertaining and I had a passion for these games. So then it came time to like get these out into the world and again had no idea. Yeah, so- that, that didn't exist, right? The, the online world was not – as far as it is along today, right? It was there. I mean, it it existed. It was there, but not to any extent that I knew about it. Right, right. So so what did they used to do, right? There were still toy stores, right? There were still toy stores. So what I started doing was locally just driving around to these toy stores. And I would walk Mm -hmm. in with my Ziploc, you know, these bags that, uh, and I just learned from that level of, you know, how do you buy these games? And then there was something called wholesale pricing. I had no idea. So I ran back to the car and then I had to learn that. And then I went back in the next week and said, oh, and then they said, well, we only buy in case packs. What's a case pack? And, and all that um, until I started figuring that out. And it got to the point where it was slowly growing, but I kept teaching. And that was really what was getting in the way at this point. And I kind of went back to my parents one day. Oh, no. Here we go. Again. I said, Yep. And that's exactly what my father said. And I said, listen, I said, uh, I fully believe in this. And uh, I think that there's a shot. But if if I keep teaching, I'm not going to be able to give this a shot. So I basically, uh, you know, again, they said, well, take it slow. You don't really know what you're doing. Don't leave teaching. You can't leave that job, Joe. That doesn't, you know, that's not even an option. So what we did is Kate and I uh, got a, we rented a van and we loaded up all of these 
games and we stuffed them in a car and started driving. And I told my parents, I said, listen, we're going to see how this goes. And, uh, you know, maybe I don't go back in September. And we started driving. Um, I remember like our first stop was um, in Pennsylvania. We went to um, a couple of, of uh, toy stores right outside of Hershey. We were in Pittsburgh and the reception at the time. I didn't know how good it was, but we walked into a toy store, sold games, got a check, walked into the car and drove to the next one. And it, it just started. Oh, to my like God. That. Oh, my God. This is I'm telling you, there's going to be a movie. This is going to be a movie uh, um, yeah. because it's nobody does that. Right. That just doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen to you. Right. I mean, is that the, the stuff that's going through your head? I mean, when you got your first check, when they actually like, yes, and you yes. walked out to the car. I mean, what's that I moment like? Had no idea what to do. And exactly. And we just kept going. So, again, here's another road trip. Picture this. We're <laughs> driving around. And before you know it, me and Kate are we're hanging out in Texas and all of a sudden we've made it that far across the country. And then before you know it, we're sitting in stores in New Mexico and we just kept driving and letting my parents know they're like, when are you guys coming back? And, Oh, we're, we're in here. And we did that for, um, that whole summer. And then what happened was that, uh, that was going to be my last year of teaching. What I found out later is we grew that and one toy store turned into two. And then eventually, we got that up to 500 local toy stores. Are you kidding? Yeah. Little I, I, so when you brought back this big wad of checks and money to your parents and you're at 500 accounts, I mean, think about that door to door, right? This is, this is real grit. You know, nobody emails. There's none of that stuff. This is real door to door. Um, what did they say? Well, they said that's great, but then they said we then they took me to the couch and they said this is fine and all, but uh, there's no pension in this, Joe. Yeah, or this isn't real. I mean, this, this is a is nice a hobby. All right, you got it out of your system, right? That's what right. they're thinking. All right, good. He's out. <laughs> He's out. Right. He got it out of his system. So I went to teaching that year. So this was my eleventh year, and then we started bringing in. Um, once I kind of learned the manufacturing, we were bringing in games. Um, at the rate of five, like we were just buying containers. So we were getting, of, of these games that I created, 5,000 at a shot were coming in. But now I don't know any of this that we might talk later on the call of unloading and warehousing and 3P. None of that existed. Not, or not, I'm sorry, it existed. I didn't know about it. So I would be teaching and there would be a call into my classroom. This happened one time that um, we had a call and it was at the secretary says, Joe, I have a, you know, XYZ trucker on the company and he needs to talk to you. Oh no. And I picked up the phone and I said, what's the deal? And, and he's saying, you know, I'm at, at such and such a house and I have your container and here I'm in the middle of my math lesson and I had to solve and figure out and tell my, you know, tell my parents, listen, can you drive there and keep this guy busy? And I had to unload, you know, containers where we would unload by hand and, uh, it, it just got out of hand. We even had shipments. Sometimes this was entertaining. Uh, my last year of teaching, we had shipments that somehow got mixed and missed because now we're shipping games by the pallet and I'm doing this all by hand. And I'm the whole time trying to not let anyone know that I'm a full-time teacher. So I'm trying to take calls in the parking lot and do this. And one day, the I guess we missed a shipment or somehow the addresses got kicked and someone typed in my name 
and couldn't find my apartment number, but found the school address. That's how I came up on Google. So my principal calls me in and I knew I was going to have a serious couch time that day because as I walked into the office, I passed three pallets that were dropped off of my games. Oh, dear. So God. then it was a little hard to explain to them that this was just a hobby. And, you know, because I had to promise them I had quit this, this addiction. I quit this addiction of making games for kids uh, to focus on my teaching career. So that turned out to be, I decided. Um, once we, it. that was it. And the reason really the turning point was when we got the call from Barnes and Noble that led, and we wound up getting into Barnes and Noble that we just, me and Kate then now, you know, she kind of, we were looking at this saying we have 500 of these stores. We're trying to do invoicing and everything. And now Barnes and Noble is, is putting us into their stores. So we said, we have to give this a shot. This is definitely real. This is no longer a fake thing that's just cutting up in boxes. So uh, I opted to, uh, you know, we kind of decided and uh, I handed in my resignation. And uh, at that point then, the other, so the third couch and final couch that I was on was the couch with my principal. When I handed in my resignation, she called me in and said, you don't need to hand this in. Joe, you're tenured. You're getting a pension. You can do this in 30 years after you retire. Just yeah. think about it. I'm not, I'm not going to submit this for you. And I said, no, I, I full heartedly, I mean to hand this in. I meant to send this to you. This wasn't an error. And, you know, she goes, I'll hold it for three days. You're a little heated. Think about it. And I said, you can do that. But that was it. And uh, I left and we never have looked back. That was seven years ago. So this is um, my seventh year out of teaching. Now, everybody's listening. It's like, is this real? This is 100% real. Now, think about this. We've heard these stories. We've seen these true outliers. You solved a problem. You got through all the reasons, you know, how many hurdles did you get through to get to this point? Um, take us forward, go all the way to the end now. How many games do you have in your company now? So I wound up, and that's another, uh, you know, a story within a story. So I wound up, uh, this actually could lead into my misunderstanding and the education into the world of Amazon and online. So we wound up, um, at the time, I invented six uh, games we had our catalog up to six and we were going to all of the national toy shows and we were selling and it uh, happened about four years ago i believe it was we were in uh in new york and we were at the javits center and all of our toy stores who were in all the time came up to us and they were like we can't buy your games anymore and i said well why not and they said you know your games are selling on amazon for we uh, wholesale those games for ten dollars and they were selling on amazon i think for 12 or 14 and it turned out that some of our bigger partners wound up they basically were writing our coattails on all the marketing we were doing around the country and dumped them on amazon so these so, were distributors these not, were distributors. not wholesalers so these are distributors which is usually 20 percent below wholesale they could yeah. sell at below price and still make a profit <laughs> exactly nice. and then any of your when we had people on the mass market end or the specialty mass that would buy large quantities and then dump them if they couldn't sell them at the end of the holiday season that could be hundreds of games and they were just flooding into the market and uh we didn't have any idea and we prided ourselves uh me and kate when we would drive around the country we always told these stores that we did not sell online we did not want to compete with them we were going to be your boots on the ground toy company or game publisher and it was kind of an eye-opening like we we sat down that day in the booth and it was sobering because we said what do you what do you mean like all these people how many people kind of you know really behind our back screwed us over um so with that being said i uh started looking into this amazon world and started learning about it and um realized that 
basically those six games that I had invented were gone. There was there was no way that I was ever gonna get those listings back or really figure out how to dig that through. So now picture this: I go to Kate on the couch, and after I gave all this thought, I this said, "This couch, okay, man, you guys, this couch this is couch. something else." It's but it's 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 really the point that conversation point these giant moments of your life and there sounds well you've had a run of them <laughs> you've had a good run of them so far but it's just so cool that you end up back there it's a it's a you, you mentioned earlier about your communication skills and people can hear your enthusiasm but i'm serious that is that's a gift joe i mean that ability to have these conver- these tough conversations right because none of them yeah. sound easy nope. to me that's a ooh. Give me the chills again. You give me the chills like four times. I'm telling you. I love it. Now, so tell us what she said, darling. So I said, Kate, hear me out, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut those six games loose, and we're going to bring the catalog down to zero, and I'm going to invent all new games, and we're going to go get a new manufacturing partner and we're going to restart this entire company and we're going to sell online because we have to cut out all the leaks. Hmm. And I said, so we're going to start from scratch right now. And she looked and she goes, literally, she was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Here no I'm kidding. I'm cringing and I'm like, well, you know, and I, I have, again, I don't do any knee jerk reactions. So I have binders ready i have all of my cases and situations and i didn't have to get to the second page she goes all right that sounds good she goes uh you know i said well don't you want to see my and she's like yeah we're, we're good we'll figure this out and and that was uh that was the beginning of like i call it rooster fin 2.0 is uh so i went and and had a good long uh i guess sit at my desk with my calculator pen and pencil and invented um six new games and then I went out to this time I decided there was no I didn't want anyone else in control. Um, so, again, as much as I can communicate well, I'm a big person uh, in terms of boots on the ground. That was the whole reason how this business got started, going to store to door and selling to the stores. So I flew out to China and I decided I was going <laughs> to boots on the ground and I'm going to I'm going to shake hands and, and talk to factories and figure out who's going to be our you know, who's going to be the uh, the production facility for Roosterfin. And that's what I did. I wound up uh, a couple of years ago, went out to China for the first time, traveled around and interviewed different factories and um, basically decided on one. And uh, we went out afterwards once we decided to do this endeavor. And they kind of didn't understand it because this is not a toy manufacturer. So I had to sit and explain to them what in the world I was doing. And uh, once we kind of agreed on that, um, I committed to inventing six more games because I said I really wanted to invent uh, and get the catalog out quick. So in the next two years, I invented a total of 14 games and went into production on all of them. You know, you so, wouldn't have been able to go to China way back. You know, you wouldn't have been able to, once you figured out there was an intermediate, you wouldn't have been able to confidently go to China and really be effective. Let me say it that way. I don't mean it that way. That was learning points all along. Each one of these bumps that you get through, you know, my whole podcast is helping people get past the point of stuck. And usually my my last question is always like, you know, give us a tip to get past the point of stuck. You've given us like a hundred tips, you know, like every time we hit the couch, there's another hundred. Then we got another hundred. And and I think that it's so powerful. Um, the, The thing that, I think that you do unbelievably well, you know, is you believe in what you're doing. 
You know, you don't just sit there and say, okay, here's a game. You demonstrate, and we can talk about the YouTube and stuff, but, but you really believe in what you're doing as opposed to somebody who just, oh, hey, we got a, you know, a team design a game. Okay, we got through that deadline. Okay, next week we're going to be doing elephants, everybody. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> that, that, that depth of caring, you know, you're back to those middle school kids. You're right back to that group. Help yeah. them shape lives, dude. Ooh. Yeah. No, it's, not, uh, not many people get to do this. Not many people. <laughs> All right. So you invent 14 because six isn't good enough. And the original right. six that sold out that were selling like hotcakes weren't good enough. Well, so we have to get 14. Yeah. Th- so those original six, I call that like my skeletons, but they're not in the closet. They're on Amazon. So They're still on Amazon? Yeah. So floating around uh, to this day, you can find some of my older titles that uh, are – You'll see they have bad pictures, bad listings, no reviews, um, 96 sellers, and uh, you know they're selling used copies old, but they're, they're, that's basically my reminder of where we've come from, and, and I look at it, I don't really mind. They're there, and uh, it's still kind of neat to see. Actually, last year for um, just a little uh, uh, fun, I ordered one and got it, and I look at the copyrights and things like that nature, and I show Kate, I'm like, remember when we did this? This was you know 2014, and look at this, and then, even though it... Even though 2014 doesn't sound that long ago, in our short history, when you look at it, and we've been oh in business God, seven man. years, it's like it's like looking at a time capsule. And um, yeah, we uh, pulled out one of those games. I bought it on Amazon. It arrived at the house, and I'm like, "This is hysterical!" And some, you know, some seller made eight bucks on me, but that's funny. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> well, how about this question? Let me ask it this way: I think about you know. The people who are listening to this are selling on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, whatever, and they 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 know how to sell, right? Yep. But they're struggling to stand out, especially the people who are creating brands and stuff like that. You absolutely have taken the bull by the horns with this. Whose idea was it to play the games? And what do you mean by play the games? To play the games where people can actually see games getting played. As far as the online, are you? Are you yeah, are, yeah. I'm talking about YouTube and stuff. But I mean, whose idea was that? Well, so that was that came about. So a lot of these things, and and I do a lot of shows traveling because I like meeting people and and things of that nature. And I kind of uh, you know speaking to your uh, audience as well is when everyone always asks exactly that. You know, how did you do this, or was it? What's the hack? And a lot of these things that I have are a little bit unique because it's not a hack. That what you're seeing on YouTube and me playing the games, that is the basically fallout from what we had to do when we went to a toy store because that toy store owner didn't have necessarily always the time. Um, we coined the phrase ambushing. So whenever we went to a toy store who wouldn't take our appointment, we would just drive there whether they were in. Uh, we would pull into toy stores in San Francisco from New York and we would tell them it's Joe Roosterfin and they would look and I would say, you didn't answer five of my calls. And they were like, from New York? And I'm like, yeah, we're here. And they sometimes still wouldn't take the meeting. Most times they would. But the ones that didn't or were too busy that day because we ambushed them, you had to have some way to quickly demo the game. So we got very good at demoing games on the side of a building, in, on, in a car, parking lot, uh, and all in a very small space. And then we translated that, uh, translated it to YouTube where we now can do that same presentation and basically that's one of our criteria is our games when we make them um, the instructions have to fit on no bigger than a a 5 by 8 postcard whenever we design a game and we have to be able to present it and play it within a minute to show the person how to play it 
Uh, otherwise, we could never sell a game. So that was survival. So when you watch those YouTube videos, I'm actually whisked away while I'm talking about those. I'm in on the street in Oregon, or I'm on the bank of uh, you know of uh, some other uh, street talking to someone in San Francisco or Texas selling a game because that's how I used to do it. But again, the enthusiasm is there. I mean, to me, I sit there and I think about people who are like, "Wow, you know, I got to figure out how I'm going to do this." You, you've done it. I mean, to me, again. It's, it's the lesson, I think, that everybody should take away from this. You've heard, Joe, all the reasons he shouldn't be where he is, right? He's smart. We all get that, right? But you, know, you didn't know how to do one single thing, right? You didn't know anything. And yet you got through every single one. And here you are out there playing games on YouTube and demonstrating how to use these toys to make sure that, that your stuff gets used and seen and I mean, I imagine it's one of the best business cards you can use, these things. And I just think it's so powerful. Um, it's like Twitch before Twitch was there. That's what it reminds me of. Right, yeah. Love it. Dude, it, it blows my mind. You have no reason to be successful. Uh, you are, absolutely should be on the couch. None of this should have happened to you, but it did. And it's got to blow your mind. I mean, you've got to sit back and think to yourself. Although, my bet, this is, this is not an ego thing either. You knew that you were going to be successful. Um, there's no doubt in my mind because the math would have told you that. You know, you, I, I bet you if you did a, a formula for you and your X and your Y and you put all their talents and all the rest of that, that formula would show that you would have, your propensity for success was, was already determined. What about the failures? You know, because I, 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 you mentioned a few. You mentioned challenges, but you didn't yep. mention a lot of failures. Um, I guess everybody you know, taking your games and selling them on Amazon wasn't probably a, a highlight, <laughs> but, right. but how do you push through those still? Because it can't, not everything you do is a win, right? I mean, not everything to be nope. fair. Nope. Yeah. We had, uh, so how I, do you not get hurt by that. I, I think it's, and I, and, you know, when I talk about my story and I tell people and I, I think it has to be, cause even I cringe when I think back to some of the uh, situations that happen, you know, for example, imagine here's a one that just pops in my head as I'm, as I'm looking up on my bookshelf and I see one of my older games shuffling feet, that game popped up. And when that uh, game first arrived, we ordered 2,500 and the factory forgot to put the barcode on. Oh, so we sat me and Kate and, uh, on a pizza night and, uh, basically had some family over and my sister and her husband came over and we were sticker and barcodes. And unfortunately I would say, or, um, I wish I could say that that was the only time that happened, but that, um, did happen a second time as well. So I think the end of the day though, or the, or the thing was, or the thing is, is that I truly enjoy the whole process of, making a game, playing a game, and I do believe it has a, a tremendous value when it comes to family. So all of these things kind of lead to when me and Kate talk about it, and of course, nobody wants to be sitting in the garage putting barcodes on, or nobody wants to be dealing with the fact that half the shipment got wrecked in, uh, you know, with water damage or whatnot. Those are all just things that happen, but if you truly are enjoying the, the journey, and I think that maybe is the way to sum it up, not necessarily looking and only looking at a destination. It's more of the journey. And I didn't want to be in that classroom. Looking back, I knew that if I didn't try this, 20 years from now, I'd be sitting in room 102 as the bell rang, wondering what could have been. So I'm not in that position. Was I expecting when I left? I'm sure all the teachers thought, 
Joe left for uh, you know his rags to riches story, and they cannot imagine that I'm in the garage doing some of the things that I do, uh, right? Or putting barcodes on, or trying to figure out where lost shipments are, or the plethora of things that happened. But um, they're that's, jealous. That's that's part of the journey. Yeah, I guess they. they I, I guarantee you, they're sitting back and saying, "Wait a second, you mean?" And and to be fair, you know. It'll take another generation or two to kick a lot of that out, but it's coming. It's coming hot and heavy where people are saying, wait a second, my boundaries, I could do this when I go to Vegas and I see this whole world that never existed. It's a pull back. I've been in an event this past week in Philadelphia. I sat at the different table because there wasn't enough room at the other table. And I sat with this incredible group of people that just blew my mind. The business they're in, I didn't even know existed. And it just blew my mind. Exactly, and here I'm a 53-year-old guy who got my mind blown. This stuff still happens, and it still can happen. You're not a, I mean, you're not a one-hit wonder. But do you consider yourself extraordinary, Joe? I mean, because I just want to see if somebody else can get inspired. Because they're going to sit there and say, well, I'm not a math genius. I'm not. Okay. But do you consider yourself extraordinary? I think the, and I don't think so. And the reason that I say that is, me and Kate often laugh about this, and we, we say that we've gotten uh, to where we are either because I'm um, uh, not that bright or just really stubborn. And I think <laughs> that's, the, that's really the key. So it's not that there was a silver spoon. Um, so when I say, actually, um, you mentioned the garage that I had redid, and, and right. I had a friend. I had a friend over literally yesterday, and he walks in, and I wanted to show him the garage. I'm proud of it, and I can't wait to start the live shows. And I show him, and he kind of just looked around, and he went, "Huh, it really does happen in a garage." And he wasn't talking about the show; he was just talking about the business. And he sees on the wall all of the things, and and it's true for your listeners. Then it's it's finding something that really interests you because again like you said it can't just be a product or you can't just say i'm going to start selling on amazon because i want to be rich tomorrow that's not going to happen uh it's it's that uh, vision on something that you truly enjoy and then the willingness to see it through and that's i think where it's not extraordinary it's just i uh tend to uh, be okay with, not that I enjoy it, but getting uh, kicked quite often uh, in the beginning and just kept keeping my eye on the uh, on the goal, so to speak. Yeah, it's a long, it's the long game. It's the, it's the it's process. That. I wrote this down. It's the process that leads to a successful journey. And, yeah. you know, how many times have I, if you follow Gary Vee, that's what he keeps talking about. You got to keep, it's the process. You got to love the process. Love the process yeah. because you're going to win and you're going to lose. But if you get through that process and it gets smoother each time you, again, we'll go back to China. You would have not been successful had you gone to China originally. But with all that extra knowledge and all that extra confidence, quite frankly, you were able to do it. And now it's it's probably second nature to you. Dude, you blow my mind. You blow my mind. (laughs) How, How could I not be motivated? How could you not be inspired? Anybody listening to this, this can be done in this day and age. Because they're sitting here saying, but Joe, all the games are out. Toys R Us just closed. There's nobody buying games. Nobody. It's gone. The business is gone. How could I do this, right? Uh, no. Would you tell them no? I would absolutely. I would. I would go to kind of follow up on that on a very short story. One of the as I was but uh, back to uh, bouncing around and trying to figure out what to do, I actually took again back on the couch. I took a job driving. Oh, uh, couch. I took a job on an 18 wheeler, and I basically was a packer for Burger King. And what that meant was an, uh, a driver, 
would drive me around to different Burger Kings every morning, and I would go around and unpack the 18-wheeler truck and deliver their Whoppers and fish sticks. And I remember my driver was Jimbo. And Jimbo, I still to this day have a great relationship with him, and uh, and uh, he was my driver, and he kind of took me under his wing and just pictured big, burly guy, and he just was a no-BS guy. He said it as it is, and he would just listen to me uh, talk and talk and talk. And um, I remember talking to him and saying with this teaching thing, and, and it always stuck with me. I said, well, I don't know what to do. And then I was kind of on the fence um, going back to teaching. And then years later now, we remained in touch, and I – brought him my situation. I'm sitting out at his house and we're having a fire and uh, kind of sitting out back and I'm talking for hours about this whole problem with Amazon and everything and every I, my latest my latest massive failure. And very quietly he just looked at me and he goes, do something, even hmm. if it's wrong. And that's the key right there. And I thought that was, at the time I was like, what is, is he even listening to me? And he said, do something even if it's wrong. And I think that's a very powerful his little advice there was like, stop sitting here talking about it. Just try something. And I found that always to be true in everything that goes on with this business. As long as you keep trying things and moving forward, it'll happen. But you can't just sit and say, you know, the URLs didn't come in. I don't have the barcode. This didn't shipment didn't happen. I didn't get that right product because it's not one thing that leads to failure and it's not one thing that leads to success. Hmm. It's the crisis. Uh, the person's always in crisis. They create crisis just to create crisis so they can solve them. Who never moves forward? It's it's yeah. that again. We're back to that process. Love it. Oh, all right. So the YouTube channel is named what? Rooster Fin Games. Rooster Fin Games. And when I have you come back, you're going to explain that name someday. Uh, Absolutely. Facebook. Uh, now, where do you do your live shows at? So we do our live shows. On our website, um, roosterfin.com, and on Facebook. Okay. So there are streams. And into that's both. the best place. If somebody has a follow-up question, what's the best place to uh, to get uh, to get in touch with you? So if they're looking for you know information and whatnot, they can always follow us. Where we have our little blog and our journey on our website and on our social media on Roosterfin. But I always. Um, uh, by all means, I appreciate any questions and I understand the struggle and everything else like that. So I would simply tell any of your listeners, it's joe at roosterfin.com. Just shoot me an email and at least let me know where you came from. I was on Steve's show and I always uh, take a special uh, liking to – I get uh, emails uh, quite often and I always make a point of answering them um, just because I was – literally where most of these sellers are and i still to this day i'm also sending out emails to where i hope to be to other sellers trying to figure mm -hmm. things out so yeah so guys i told you we were gonna have fun today oh joe <laughs> man I, I wish you nothing but success thank you so so much i mean it i appreciate it thanks for having me all right how cool is that who wouldn't like to play this game man? who doesn't want to play his games i mean can you imagine a teacher investing in you at that age and making and making that stuff and bringing it to classroom. Who does that? Who does that? Those are the teachers that you want, right? And to be fair, I think all teachers were those teachers at one time, but they've been contained and put into the system and told you can't, you know, buck back. Well, that's not going to happen to a guy like Joe, right? He's willing to take a, a lashing on the couch because he cared. And, you know, I just, 
I just think it's so powerful what he said about those age groups and how that's the place where we need to double down. I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense. And I hope I hope that stuff changes. But, you know, with guys like Joe and teachers out there like Joe, because we all seen him, um, the world is a better place. And man, I'm a much better person for this interview. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.